Hey everyone, welcome to the Daystar Thimble podcast. I'm Megan Blake, and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is a scripture and general conference study that will help you seek the Lord and experience Jesus Christ a little more in your life. My hope is that we can come unto Jesus Christ, our Daystar, and add a thimble of oil to our lamps each episode. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Daystar Thimble podcast. I'm so excited to discuss this week's talk, which is a framework for personal revelation given by Dale G. Renlund uh, from this past general conference. And um, I'm so excited to dive in here. So what you're going to need is you're going to need his talk pulled up. And we're going to also be in the New Testament today. So make sure you've got your New Testament. Um, Specifically, John chapter 9 is what we're going to be in. So first, some questions I want you to ponder and be thinking about as we go about this lesson or this talk. What is your own personal framework for receiving revelation? What does that look like? How has God spoken to you before in the past? And how do you think he speaks to you now today? I know it takes a little bit of some self-reflection on how you receive revelation personally and maybe thinking about some experiences you've had with the spirit and how those have come about and how have you felt the spirit in your life? Um, I will always love this video um, that was given, it was made by the church. And they interviewed this man who is a songwriter and a playwriter, um, just a musician in general. And he, for years, felt that heaven was shut. Um, His son came to him and told him he was gay. And from then on, for nine years, he wanted answers and and he just felt that heaven was completely shut and he was like well is anything i ever knew true does does god even exist and is he even there because why would he make me sit in the dark like this when i so desperately needed answers well for 10 days After this nine-year period of searching and knocking and not really feeling like he was connecting with heaven or with God, he said for 10 days he was composing some music in his studio and he was trying to understand what Jesus was, like who he was, who he really was and is, and what his personality is like, what his character is like. And all of a sudden he felt that he was getting these amazing and beautiful direct downloads for songs and lyrics and piano notes. And he realized that during his nine years of thinking God wasn't talking to him, God was actually there the whole time trying to to help him see him. But it was just going over his head. And during his whole life, he looked back on on that experience and during his whole life he realized that he was putting god in a box like god only answers prayers in this little box and he realized he needed to be looking out of that box because god spoke to him in a way that only he would be able to understand and in a way that's so personal that he knew it was from god um which i thought was so beautiful God was trying to reach him in a language that he would understand in his heart. And I just think about that experience from that man. And I think, well, how is God trying to speak to me? And how is how can I uh, increase that connection with him to be able to, to have him speak 
to me and, and allow me to hear him. So some thoughts I've been having is, sorry, before we dive into the talk, some thoughts I've been having is, well, questioning and pondering and searching in the scriptures leads to information and it leads to knowledge. And I think that becomes a catalyst for receiving revelation. So I just love that idea and elder renlin hits on many of these points so let's dive into his talk um some things that stuck out to me um well he gives four frameworks on how to how we receive revelation the first framework let me pull that up here is in relation to the scriptures So he said, feasting on the words of Christ, as found in the scriptures, stimulates personal revelation. And I want to come back to this idea in just a minute. The second element he talks about is a framework that we receive personal revelation only within our purview and not within the prerogative of others. So we can't receive revelation on others' behalf, but we can receive personal revelation for us. He, um, He talks about some interesting things there. Um, The third framework is that personal revelation will be in harmony with the commandments of God and the covenants we have made with him, which I thought was um, really interesting and makes sense, right? Um, And the fourth framework is to recognize what God has already revealed to you personally while being open to further revelation from him. So I just want to focus on those four frameworks today. Um, So with the first framework, talking about how we receive personal revelation within a framework, he's going to kind of break that down for us. Um, Oh, wait, sorry. Searching the scriptures was the first framework. Um, He does talk about the like how we receive the Holy Ghost and we have this practical gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he further expounds on that by saying, um, by quoting um, the Savior, ask and it shall be given you for everyone that asketh receiveth. With the help of the Holy Ghost, we can transform our divine nature into our eternal destiny. And I spent a little bit of time on this particular sentence in his talk because it's so profound yet so simple. First of all, divine nature is knowing our divine heritage. It's knowing and actually knowing that we are a son or a daughter of heavenly parents. And Actually, it's kind of piggybacking on his previous talk given in April 2022. His whole talk was about your divine nature and eternal destiny. So I encourage you to read that talk. It was really good. But something that stuck out to me was um, it is uh, this is intrinsic to who we are talking about divine nature. It is spiritually genetic, inherited from our heavenly parents, and requires no effort on our part. This is our most important identity, regardless of how else we choose to identify ourselves. Understanding this profound truth is important for everyone, but especially for individuals belonging to groups who have been historically marginalized, oppressed, or subjugated. And I just... I love that idea. Like, well, how do you identify? Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a writer. I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm a learner or I'm really good at sports and all, we have all these identifications of ourselves. but the, tr- the, the most important identity we have is that I am a son or daughter of God, of heavenly parents. And I just love that. And And he goes on to say, with the help of the Holy Ghost, we can transform our divine nature. We can transform 
our identity as a son or daughter of God into our eternal destiny, which I think is so beautiful. And he actually talks about that in his previous talk too. Such a destiny will not be forced on us. That is so interesting to me. I think about I think about the prophets, right? In the Old Testament and um, throughout the Book of Mormon, we choose to transform from being just a, you know, our divine nature, our our son or daughter of God to our eternal destiny through the Holy Ghost. So it's this principle of line upon line, precept upon precept will become who Heavenly Father wants us to become because of heeding His voice by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I just, I, it's so simple yet so deep at the same time. Um, and I just love that. It's this foreordination principle that we see in the book of Moses. But we're, we aren't foreordained. Like We still have our agency to choose to live up to our foreordination, to live up to our eternal destiny. And I love that concept. So we need to do our part to receive further light and inspiration through the Holy Ghost and hear his voice. And it's so important for us to understand our personal framework of receiving that revelation. So I just, I love that. And I want to share a quick story. Um, Let me see if I can find it. Elder Richard G. Scott shared in an October 2009 uh, conference address. It's called to acquire spiritual guidance. And I love Richard G. Scott's interpretation of this exact concept that Elder Renlund's trying to de- trying to demonstrate here. He talks about how he was in a meeting. Here, sorry, let me pull it up. He talks about how he was in a class. And during the class the teacher was teaching and all of a sudden this teacher speaking so humbly of simple doctrines and truths because of him he the spirit was there and elder richard g scott says in that environment strong impressions began to flow to me i wrote them down The message included specific counsel on how to become more effective as an instrument in the hands of the Lord. I received such an outpouring of impressions that were so personal that I felt it was not appropriate uh, to record them in the midst of a Sunday school class. Can you imagine? I sought a more private location where I continued to write the feelings that flooded into my mind and heart as faithfully as possible. After each powerful impression was recorded, I pondered the feelings I had received to determine if I had actually expressed them in writing. As a result, I made a few minor changes to what had been written. Then I studied their meaning and application in my own life. Subsequently, I prayed, reviewing with the Lord what I thought I had been taught by the Spirit. When a feeling of peace came, I thanked him for the guidance given. I was then impressed to ask, was there yet more to be given? I received further impressions, and the process of writing down the impressions, pondering, and praying for confirmation was repeated. First of all, I just I love this I this process that he's he's describing here. He was in the Sunday school class, and all of a sudden he was getting some amazing impressions from the Spirit that he wanted to write down, but he felt like it was too sacred, so he, he leaves. And it, it's, it's amazing that, that you need to go somewhere quiet to be on your own, to be able to process your thoughts and process the impressions that you're receiving from the Spirit. I just thought that was so cool. 
And then he said he write it, he wrote it down, and then he prayed to know if that was exactly what Heavenly Father was trying to tell him. And he made some changes. And then he repeated the process again, but asking, was there yet more to be given? Like, Heavenly Father, did I get it all? Or was there something else you wanted to teach me here? And the Lord proceeded to teach him more. And he followed this process of writing down the impressions, pondering them, praying for confirmation, maybe adjusting some of them. And I just thought that was such a beautiful thing that he described. And he said, had I not responded to the first impressions and recorded them, I would not have received the last most precious guidance. And then he goes on to say, what I have described is not an isolated experience. It embodies several true principles regarding communication from the Lord to his children here on earth. I think now would be a good opportunity for me to talk about a personal experience of mine related to personal revelation. I was serving in the capital city of Montenegro. It's called Podgorica. And I was in a a companionship there with another sister. And I remember we would come home late at night, around 9 or 9.30, depending on how fast we walked home. And I remember as soon as we got in the door, the 30 minutes right home from working was sacred time to me i would sit down in by my bed and pull out a notebook and a pencil and i would just start with a prayer um and just kind of not finish the prayer but just stay in this pondering prayer-like state And the spirit would be so powerful and poignant. And I remember I would pray for specific people we met that day and just picture their faces. And I would pray for the people we were teaching and the members of the branch there and just picture everyone in my mind and pray specifically for what they needed and the hardships that they were going through. I would also pray for my companion and the struggles that she specifically had. And I would pray for family and those back home. And I would also bring questions as well and tough questions, thorny questions And I remember anything that I thought, I would write it down. And I would spend literally 30 minutes or an hour sometimes on the floor, just in this prayer-like state and writing things down and pondering in the spirit. And I remember I received so many answers to prayers Answers that I had been praying for for years before then, before I went on on my mission. Things and topics that were difficult for me to grasp and understand. And I would receive these answers and impressions, and it was so amazing to me. The most important impression I received during that time was feeling forgiven. And actually feeling forgiven. And that I was okay. That my standing before the Lord was just fine. That was so powerful to me. And because of that experience, I was able to teach more effectively, which was amazing. But I also felt happier and lighter, and less weighed down, and less 
angry or grouchy or irritated. Just less negative and full of positivity in the spirit. And it was a beautiful thing. And it changed me. It changed my soul. And I'm so grateful for that experience. And I really do strive to implement that in my life now. Especially since I have children and the negative thoughts always keep coming in. All of the guilty thoughts that you have as a mother. And it's been such a blessing to be able to do that process with the Lord and have him take that burden. So I have a testimony of exactly what Elder Richard G. Scott is saying here. It's an incredible process. Okay, so back to Elder Renlund's talk. When we operate within the framework, the Holy Ghost can unleash astonishing insight, direction, and comfort, which I love. So he first lays out the first framework element, which is feasting on the words of Christ. So feasting on the words of Christ, as found in the scriptures, stimulates personal revelation. Elder Robert D. Hill said, when we want to speak to God, we pray. And when we want him to speak to us, we search the scriptures. And it sounds like such a simple answer, but it's so true. I I think about President Nelson's talk, um, Revelation uh, for the Church, Revelation for Our Lives. It was given April 2018. I'll never forget this talk. I was on my mission at the time and sitting next to one of our investigators we had brought to watch general conference with us. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about what we can learn from Heavenly Father, like what he can do in our lives and what we can do for him in our life. And um, and I just want to quote one of his things here. Let's see. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses. Yes, the very longings of your heart. And then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you were prompted to take. Here's the exact same thing that Richard G. Scott was saying. As you repeat this process day after day, Month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. Now, if that isn't turning from our divine nature into our eternal destiny, I don't know what is. Growing into the principle of revelation, I think that's possibly how God is so omnipotent, right? It's that he's grown into this principle of revelation. And we can learn this process as well. You don't have to wonder about what is true. You do not have to wonder whom you can safely trust. Through personal revelation, you can receive your own witness that the Book of Mormon is the word of God, that Joseph Smith is a prophet, and that this is the Lord's church. Regardless of what others may say or do, no one can ever take away a witness born to your heart and mind about what is true. I urge you to stretch beyond your current spiritual ability to receive personal revelation. For the Lord has promised that if thou shalt seek, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth life eternal. I love that. Oh, if you haven't read that talk in a while, I highly encourage you to do that. It is a beautiful talk. And there's some simple yet very profound things that we can learn from our prophet. So going on, the scriptures teach us how to receive personal revelation. And we ask and we ask for what is right and good and not for what is contrary to God's will. We do not ask amiss with improper motives to promote our own agenda or to fulfill our own pleasure. And above all, we are to ask Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ, believing that we will receive. 
I love that whole paragraph. This is in Elder Renlund's talk again. And I just love that. I, I reflect on moments and years and months of my life where I have wanted to counsel the Lord instead of taking counsel from his hand. And I think this is what this is saying here, to not uh, promote our own agenda or to fill our own pleasure. I know that there has definitely been times in my life where I have prayed, but I knew it wasn't what Heavenly Father wanted me to do, yet I wanted to do it. And, And those were moments in my life where I really felt like heaven was shut where it it was blocked because I was not asking the right questions and I was not desiring the right things. And so I think that's important to keep in mind as we pray. Um, If you listened to my other podcast where I talked about having a pre-prayer before your prayer, that we need to first connect with the Spirit and think about what we're going to pray before we approach deity. Um, to really give that some contemplation before approaching the throne of God. And I love that. Okay, the second element of the framework is that we receive personal revelation only within our purview and not within the prerogative of others. And he gives an example of Um, You know, we don't receive revelation that is only, we don't receive revelation for the church that is reserved for the prophet. And even in our own ward, we don't receive revelation for the ward, the bishop does. And so there's there's some authority that is in in line with specific revelation. As far as the church goes, um, So he says, doctrine, commandments, and revelations for the church are the prerogative of the living prophet who receives them from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the prophet's runway. So I love how he just directly states that um, so simply, which I like. Personal revelation rightly belongs to individuals. And um, you can receive revelation, for example, about where to live, what career path to follow, or whom to marry. And I also liked this. Church leaders may teach doctrine and share inspired counsel, but the responsibility for these decisions rests with you. That is your revelation to receive. That is your runway. So I love that. And um, I've been reading... um, a book by Elder Bednar. It's called The Spirit of Revelation. And in it, he gives several principles on how we can receive personal revelation in our lives. Um, And I just want to focus on one for just a second. It's called The Scattered Among Us Principle. And essentially what it means is you can be in a church meeting or a lesson or a council and the spirit can speak to you personally about what that what's being taught but it can also speak to you about something completely different and it's called the scattered among us because the holy ghost can be in several places at once um, impressing people and enlightening people in the same room but they can get something completely different out of the lesson. And that's the beauty of the Holy Ghost. Um, I love what he says here. The Holy Ghost instructs, edifies, comforts, and brings all things to our remembrance. The teacher to whom we should all attune ourselves is the Holy Ghost. So, and then he goes on, how do we appoint the Holy Ghost to be our teacher? And he said the word appoint can be used to suggest a variety of actions. Choose, engage, select, designate, and commission. Those are just to identify just a few. But I I just love that because it's in when we're sitting in a meeting or a lesson. And actually, he 
He says he doesn't like the word meeting. <laughs> he says he wish we, we could do away with that word in the church because it should be a place where we can have a revelatory experience. And that's what the goal of a meeting is, is that we can all have a revel- revelatory experience about what to do or, um, you know, what we should choose to do. Um, but in a sacrament meeting, right, in a sacrament revelatory experience, which I really like, we should always use that name for meeting, right? Let's have a revelatory experience on Tuesday, right? Um, but he says, um, we can seek to appoint the Holy Ghost um, and we can have him be the spokesman and there's a scripture in Doctrine and Covenants 88, 122. It reads, Let not all be spokesmen at once, but let one speak at a time and let all listen unto his sayings. And then, when all have spoken, that all may be edified of all, and that every man and woman may have an equal privilege. And that's where the Holy Ghost can come in and help us. Um... And we have to be anxiously engaged. We have to choose to engage the Spirit to be our teacher. And we have to choose to, what was his other word? Designate and commission the Holy Ghost. And I I love that. Um, So let's all have like revelatory experiences in church, right? Um, Let's all learn from the Holy Ghost instead of information that the teacher is saying. Um, That's the real like one of the purposes of church and gathering together is that we can all be edified by the spirit, which I love. I love that idea. Okay. The third element of the framework is that personal revelation will be in harmony with the commandments of God and the covenants we have made with him. And he goes on to share um, about... Well, he, he, he goes on to say that we shouldn't pray about whether we should keep the Sabbath day holy or not because that has already been revealed. The Lord has already made his point clear that he wants the Sabbath day to be a day of rest and set apart and consecrated to him. And so when we pray, it's like, well, I don't want to, you know, it, it's like counseling the Lord versus taking counsel from his hand. And so we shouldn't pray for something that has already been revealed and we already know the answer to. He said that just opens us up to deception and trying to, like, if it opens us to being deceived by our own feelings and emotions about it versus what the Lord actually has already said about it. So I thought that was interesting. He does talk about Nephi and um, in the Book of Mormon when he was told by the Spirit to slay Laban. And that is something very interesting. Um, He does say that, um, like some might point out that Nephi violated a commandment when he slew Laban. However, this exception does not negate the rule. The rule that personal revelation will be in harmony with God's commandments. No simple explanation of this episode is completely satisfactory, but let me highlight some aspects. The episode did not begin with Nephi asking if he could slay Laban. It was not something he wanted to do. Killing Laban was not for Nephi's personal benefit, but to provide scriptures to a future nation and a covenant people. And Nephi was sure that it was revelation. In fact, in this case, it was a commandment from God. And I just, I love that. On on my mission, that was probably the hardest thing when we run into that part of the Book of Mormon right at the beginning. I think it's in such a strategic part, though, because it challenges us to be like, oh, like, well, how does, how, how does God operate? And, um, but anyways, I really liked his explanation of that, that he didn't first ask 
to slay Laban. That wasn't the first thing that came to his mind. Um, in fact, he questioned the Lord. He's like, are you sure? Uh, I have never before killed a man in my life. Are you sure this is what you're asking me to do? And, um, and we also know that those scriptures were so important to go with them because Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and we know that it was destroyed. Um, the Babylonians came in and they um, burned every house in Jerusalem to the ground. And so those, those plates would not have survived. So it was in mercy that God allowed Nephi to be able to do that. And he did try in gentler ways, but Laban would not give it to him. So this was his only chance. Anyways, um, okay, so the fourth framework is to recognize what God has already revealed to you personally while being open to further revelation from him. So I, I love this idea because um, it's obviously, again, that seek not to counsel the Lord, but to take counsel from his hand. And it's also like, remember, remember the times when I did, when you did hear me, right? As if God's saying that, right? Remember the time when I did this. And um, what have I already revealed to you? Um, there's a story that I love in, um, I have this book, it's called Memorable Stories and Parables by Boyd K. Packer. And I love Elder Packer. I miss him so much along with Richard G. Scott. But um, I love one of these famous stories that he shared about his about personal revelation and leaning on what you have already um, heard, what you have already felt was true, and in helping you share your testimony, um, just leaning onto those previous experiences that the Lord taught you and that the Lord communicated with you. And um, so I'll go into a story now. <clears throat> Although a testimony of this plan is of crucial importance to us, we must not count on winning many debates on the plan of redemption versus the prevailing theories and philosophies of men. I learned a long time ago that spiritual knowledge is described in a different language than is secular knowledge. On this, I had a valuable experience before I was a general authority. It affected me profoundly. I sat on a plane next to a professional atheist, or a professed atheist, who ridiculed my belief in God. I bore my testimony to him, there is a God, I know he lives. He said, you don't know, nobody knows that, you can't know it. When I would not yield, the atheist posed perhaps the ultimate challenge to my testimony. All right, he said in a sneering, condescending way. You say you know. Then tell me, how do you know? I could not do it. I was helpless to communicate. When I used the words spirit and witness, the atheist responded, I don't know what you were talking about. The words prayer, discernment, and faith also were meaningless to him. You see, he said, you don't really know. If you did you would be able to tell me how you know. Perhaps I thought I had borne my testimony to him unwisely, and I was at a loss as to what to do. Then came the experience. A thought, a revelation came into my mind, and I said to the atheist, let me ask you a question. Do you know what salt tastes like? Of course I do, was his reply. When did you taste salt last? I just had dinner on the plane. You just think you know what salt tastes like, I said. He insisted. I know what salt tastes like as well as I know anything. If I gave you a cup of salt and a cup of sugar, could you tell the salt from the sugar if I let you taste them both? Now you are getting juvenile, he said. Of course, I could tell the difference. I know what salt tastes like. I know it as well as I know anything. Then, I said, 
assuming that I have never tasted salt. Explain to me just what it tastes like. After some thought, he ventured, well, I, uh, it's not sweet and it's not sour. You've told me what it isn't, not what it is. After several attempts, of course, he cannot do it. He cannot convey in words alone so ordinary an experience as tasting salt. I bore testimony to him once again and said, I know there is a God. You ridiculed that testimony and said that if I did know, I would be able to tell you exactly how I know. My friend, spiritual, spiritually speaking, I have tasted salt. I am no more able to convey to you in words alone how this knowledge has come than you are able to tell me what salt tastes like. But I say to you again, there is a God. He lives. And just because you don't know, don't tell me or don't try to tell me that I don't know, for I do. As we parted, I heard him mutter, I don't need your religion for a crutch. I don't need it. That to me was a great lesson on personal revelation. From it, I learned about prompting and the truth of the scripture, which says, treasure up in your minds continually the words of life, and it shall be given you in the very hour that portion that shall be meted unto every man. Since then, I have never been embarrassed or ashamed that I cannot explain in words alone everything I know spiritually or tell just how I received it. From such experiences, we will surely suffer some humiliation, but that is good for our faith. And we have an ever-present guide. We will be tested, but we will never be left without help. And I just loved that short story of his experience on the plane with that atheist. His story reminded me of a, a scripture passage in the New Testament. So let's flip to John chapter 9. And let me quickly go there. John chapter 9 is one of my favorite chapters in the scriptures. And it's because I had an experience with a Muslim man on my mission who had converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I'm not going to share his name, but he was an amazing young man. And he, I asked him, how, how were you converted? Like, what was a key part of your conversion? And he said, I felt like I was the blind man in the New Testament. Um, the one that was born blind. And then he said, then all of a sudden, after meeting with the missionaries and reading the Book of Mormon, and then getting baptized and making that covenant and receiving the Holy Ghost, he said, I finally feel, feel like and felt like then that I can see. Like for the first time in my life, I can see. Like really see. And he said that I didn't know, and, and we'll get to this part later on in the chapter, but he said, I didn't know exactly how I could see. But all I knew was that I was blind but now I can see. And I love that. It's, it's exactly what Boyd K. Packer talked about. Like, you know, it's, it's salt, but I, I can't really describe what the salt tastes like. And it's, it's exactly that. He just didn't have the words for it, but he could see and he could feel the Holy Ghost in his life and he could feel a connection with God and with heaven. So I love that. Um, and it will forever be one of my favorite stories in the New Testament because of that experience I had with that man. But let's start in chapter 9. Um, let's see, verse... We'll do verse 1. We'll just go through this. 
And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I love how Jesus not only tells them uh, they didn't sin, like, in fact, the opposite. Let's go whole 180. He's born blind because he will, in this act, he, God will be glorified. Like, because of me healing him, he is going to be glorified. And so it's this full 180 of not only did his parents not sin, but this man was given this limitation for a greater and holier purpose, and that's to help glorify God. Um, which is really interesting to think about, too. I mean, this man was foreordained to experience this really harsh trial, but then to see and gain a testimony of the Savior Jesus Christ, and we'll see that later on. I must work the works of him that sent me, verse 4. And this one is also a Joseph Smith translation. So I'll read verse 4 with that translation. I must work the works of him that sent me while I am with you. The time cometh when I shall have finished my work, then I go unto the Father. I think it's fascinating to note here that he is directing them to his death, to the cross. When he says that it is finished, that the work he has done is finished. So I love this further insight that Joseph Smith gives us in this verse. Okay, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's beautiful, beautiful imagery there. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. I want to focus on some of these keywords here. Um, so, he spat on the ground. Um, doesn't that remind you of water? He's going to work with water here. Well, he is living water, right? He is the fountain of righteousness. He is the wells of salvation. So it's just beautiful to think that in this miracle, he is going to be using some of his own water directly from him i also read a commentary to add some historicity to this but spittle and especially the spittle of someone who was distinguished was actually back then believed to possess certain curative qualities so it's just showing that he is a distinguished person and he's going to use this spittle this saliva to anoint his eyes and made clay i love this imagery here because clay this word in greek is alluding to him as co-creator with god right he formed man from the dust um this word here is called pelos and it means clay, it means earth. It's especially such as was used by the mason or potter. Metaphorically, the clay or matter from which things and especially man are made. And I love this because you can see the imagery here of his, who he really was, who this man is. He is going to be forming clay where you see God and you see him as at a potter's wheel and he's forming this clay into his hopes and his desires and this is a symbol of deity. This is a symbol of the creation of, of the Elohim and I love that. So there is so much significance in this pottery, this word, pelos, that 
it's alluding to his being creating the man from the dust. Okay, we're going to move on. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. This word anointed here actually could mean smeared. So it's not going to be unfelt. The man is for sure going to feel this. It's going to build his faith a little bit. Like, well, this man's doing something. Maybe this might work, right? Maybe, just maybe this will be helpful to me. So I love all of that put together that this man is is thinking, well, he used saliva, he's spittle, he's forming things with clay, and now he's smearing it on my eyes. He's doing something. Do I believe that this is going to work, right? Verse 7, And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Um, the Blue Letter Bible actually says Siloam. Um, it also could be Siloa or Shela or Shiloa, meaning sent or conducted. And I love that imagery because one of the names of Christ is Shiloh. And Shiloh means he is who is to be sent. Right? So when these waters, it says here in verse 7, which is by interpretation, sent. He who is to be sent, this has Christ written all over it. He to whom it belongs is also another word for Shiloh or meaning. So whose it is, that which belongs to him. And I love the fact that that Siloam is a pool of water. So again, we have this imagery of living water. He to whom it belongs that water belongs to him, right? He is that well springing up unto everlasting life. Um, it's um, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6, it says, The waters of Shiloh. So Christ claims this name for himself because he is, a, he is a devoted God. He is going to show up. He's going to take responsibility in our story, which I love the symbolism there. You think about the priests of Baal during um, Elijah's time, where they get up and and they they try to get the gods, the Baal, right, to rain down fire onto this altar, and and Elijah's like, hmm, perhaps they, perhaps he's sleeping, perhaps he's, you know, maybe he's on an errand or at the bathroom or something. But it's this idea that their God is not devoted to them. And then we see the power of Jehovah, right? God rains down fire and he licks up the altar. He licks up the water of the altar. And it doesn't matter if there's water on the altar. It's going up in flames. And um, just that imagery of we have a devoted God. He is very much a showing up. In our story and I love this title for Shiloh because it is this whose it is to who he to whom it belongs he he who is to be sent he's got total ownership he's got total responsibility and devotion to our life and our story and our struggles so I love how even though Christ wasn't personally here at the washing of the pool of Siloam, that he was there. He was in it. Like he was with him. And I just love that Siloam and just thinking that that has a connection to Shiloh and Shiloah. Um, continuing in verse 7 still, he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. I love that. That's um, a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, which is, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. This is Christ in his full fulfillment of those prophecies given in Isaiah. And I love that. And I just think about all of this relating to 
our own framework of receiving personal revelation, right? The man had to walk by himself to the pool of Siloam. It would have been a little tricky, right? He's having to find his way and grasping the wall by him and maybe stumbling a few times. And I think perhaps, you know, developing a process where we can receive revelation is a stumbling and it is a kind of a searching in the dark that we're blind. But when we get to our pool of Siloam, right? When we figure out the way that's going to help us hear him and the thing that's going to speak to our heart um, through him, that will make all the difference. We will come forth seeing just like this man. And I think in, in different stages of life, that looks different for each of us. I know at one point, you know, writing in my journal and writing down everything really helped me. And then, you know, there were times where music was the key to helping me receive that guidance and inspiration. And then other times it was podcasts and listening to the inspiration of others and and their insights and knowledge and that helping me feel the spirit. And um, sometimes it was, you know, people in church, you know, saying things and, um, and, and just d- different things have, have helped me establish a personal framework. And of course, I'm always working on that personal framework for receiving revelation. Um, but I love this um, in John chapter 9, verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Like, we don't even recognize him. He's unrecognizable now. That's how much he's changed. Like, could this really be the man? Um, it's just amazing how when the Savior comes into our life and touches our story, and the spirit is in our lives and we can see and we we can get answers to our questions and to our prayers that in some ways I don't even recognize myself sometimes. I'm like, wow, I've, I've, I can look back and be like, I've really changed. I've come a long way. And I love how these people can see that as well. Chapter nine or verse nine, some said, this is he. Others said he is like him, but he said, I am he. Like, no, really, guys, it's me. <laughs> Verse 10, therefore said they unto him, how are thine eyes opened? And I love this part. How has this happened? What have you been doing differently, right? Like, you're, you're glowing so much. How have you changed so much? Um, Christ touched my story. He, sh- he showed up in my messy life. Um, and I sought him, right? Like his, he came to me, he, Christ's grace comes to us and meets us where we're at as we are, but then he brings us to this whole new level, right? Where we, we look so different and act so different. Verse 11, and he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes. I love how he just says like he made clay. Like he's got this amazing power to create amazing things and anointed mine eyes. I felt it and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Like I did all these things that would invite him into my life. And I can see now. Like, I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. Like, or maybe in other words, they were saying like, um, like, how, how, how did you do this? Like, where is he? Like, have him tell us. And he's like, man, this is going to take a lot of work for you to actually find him. Right? Like, I don't know quite where to start. Um, but like, I know not like, you know. So they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. 
And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? that he hath opened thine eyes. He said he is a prophet. And I love how he he doesn't know exactly who Jesus is, but he has so much, um, you know, he's standing up for this man that he know he hasn't even seen him with his own eyes. Um, and he's like, he must be a prophet. Like, he must be an amazing man. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. And also, it was kind of a protection too, going back to that prophet thing. Um, it was a protection because the, Jew, the, the Pharisees had said whoever said he was the Christ would be, put, would be excommunicated from the church. So he was kind of treading carefully here as well. Like, uh, he must be a prophet. Like, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. So they're like, we just don't believe your story. Like, it's impossible. How can this happen? Well, let's fast forward. His parents say that he can speak for himself. In verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should put, put out of the, be put out of the synagogue, so excommunicated. And therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. And this actually means, like, don't lie to us. Like, come on, don't lie. Um, we learn about that in Joshua chapter seven nineteen. Anyways, we know that this man is a sinner. Which I think that's interesting because there's so many elements of this story that they don't know because they haven't been open that they really don't know. Um, but yet they're saying, we know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> this is so interesting because, I mean, and they don't know that this man was born blind. So it's just very interesting that they are set in their ways and, and unable to think out of the box, right? He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. And I love that. And then he goes on, um, he ends up meeting Christ. They revile him. They revile this man and he's kicked out. He's excommunicated and can't participate in the synagogue or in the temple, which would be so devastating. The man answered and said unto him, why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Like, how do you not know when I'm plainly telling you this? Now we know that God heareth no sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And I love that testimony that he has now of God, that God does hear him, and that God answers his prayers. Jesus comes. Jesus heard, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, so he comes to him again where he is as he is. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, right? Because now he can see him. And it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So I just love John chapter 9 to see this in a revelatory process that he was blind. He was a beggar, but then he was able to be touched by Christ and um, to have Christ in his life. And then he, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, he went to the pool of Siloam and Christ touched his story again. And he was able to see. And then he was brought to the Pharisees and he didn't know exactly how he knew. And he couldn't quite put words to it. But then 
you know, and he didn't even know if Christ was the Christ. He was like, he's a prophet, right? He must be this amazing man. But then at the end, he finally gets, after all of that persevering and being reviled and dejected, just being with Christ and, and knowing that he was the son of God and then worshiping him. And I just love to see that like full, that full process shown in that story that we too are blind sometimes and we need Christ to touch our story and by the power of the Holy Ghost and then we work line upon line, precept upon precept, we increase and increase and increase and then we can have Christ touch our story again and then we can still increase and increase and increase and then he could come in and touch our story again and and before we know it we have this flourishing testimony and we've turned into as the as president nelson said the principle of revelation and understanding and testimony and i love that i love this imagery here so let's finish with the last little part of elder renland's talk i invite you to have the confidence to claim personal revelation for yourself understanding what god has revealed consistent with the scriptures and the commandments he has given through his appointed prophets and within your own purview and agency. I know that the Holy Ghost can and will show you all things that you should do. And he says that all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Daystar Thimble podcast. I hope you were able to add some oil to your lamp today. If you want to check out anything that was mentioned during the episode, you can go to daystarthimble.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at daystarthimble. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll see ya.